The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the Star Quest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, episode 123. One day, I shall come back. That's it. I've been renewed. It's when a Time Lord's body wears out, he regenerates. I'm a Time Lord. I'm not a human being. I walk in eternity. Brave hearty. Change, my dear. And it seems on a moment too soon. Unlimited vice pudding! Position, you know, sir. Wearing a bit thin. Fantastic. Allons-y! I am Scottish. I can complain about things. Ta-da! Should be fine. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series Doctor Who. And today we're discussing the seventh Doctor story, Delta and the Bannermen. And joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going, Dom? Very well. And Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Hey, Dom. Folks, remember to like The Secrets of Doctor Who on Facebook, where we have a Facebook page. Just do a search for Secrets of Doctor Who there. It's easier than me trying to read a URL to you. Uh, retweet us on Twitter, where we're at SQPN. Leave us comments in any place online that you find us. Subscribe in iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher. Tune in your favorite podcast app or on YouTube, where you should also hit the bell to get notifications of new episodes. And above all, please share the podcast with your friends. Help us to keep growing our community of Doctor Who fans. We're having so much fun talking about new Who. And, of course, Classic Who, like we're talking about today. And it's a lot of fun. I mean, as as cheesy as today's uh, episode can be, there's also a lot of fun stuff in it, too. And so I'm really excited to talk about this. And we should You should share this with your friends. Even if they have not watched Classic Doctor Who, uh, they should they should hear about it from you, that it's fun to listen to. That's for sure. Yeah, I, I think that pretty well summarizes this story. It's stupid. It's It's rock stupid, and it's a ton of fun. They're just, yes, they're not exactly. even, they're not trying to be, to be intelligent in this. They're just having fun and they, and it's deliberately absurd. Well, and that's, that's one of the criticisms I read about it online is that it was a over the top campy episode, pun intended, uh, <laughs> in after two over the top campy episodes. And so it became disliked because it was kind of more of the same sugar syrupy stuff where if it had been on a as a standalone kind of camp episode after a couple of serious episodes it might have been received a little bit better anyways yeah i can see that the it they do eventually get to much darker material with the with the seventh doctor um sylvester mccoy but in this one it, it is it, it, it in this early series of stories they were kind of scrambling i guess and they have a similar humorous parody tone to them but it's somewhat different like in the previous episode or the previous story i'm going to say episode just because i'm an american and that's how i think exactly. in terms of tv stuff um but in the previous story uh it was paradise towers and that was that was over the top kind of satire but it was dark in a way this is not dark this is nostalgia 
And so it's uh, it's a parody of something very different. It's it, you know, there is a villain in it, but it's it's not dark in the same way. You don't have cannibal little old ladies and girl <laughs> girl gangs running high rises and stuff with not <laughs> Nazi officers here. You just have the Nazi officers running about with their red popsicle tongues that they stick out as a sign of victory. So let's let's recap what this episode is about before uh, so that uh, in case in case you're you haven't watched the episode before listening to this. So uh, we have uh, we have the, the seventh doctor, Sylvester McCoy. We have his companion, Mel, and they are they start off, the, the, you know, in the future. And they come back to 1959 in South Wales, uh, in, in the UK, where they are. They join a an alien group that's on a that disguised on a holiday tour. Uh, of of Earth in 1959, and they get sidetracked, and then we have uh, a, a refugee sort of uh, person. We'll talk about it in a second. Uh, named Delta, yeah. and the bad guys are the Bannermen, and they all, and so we have this battle that occurs in a British a holiday camp in 1959. Uh, so and and so and to kind of set it in time. This was broadcast in 1987. So it has a very much 1987 uh, TV aimed at kids feel to it, if if you're old enough to remember that. Including outdoor videotape that doesn't look nearly as good as film would. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it quality wise was kind of like, you know, the mini DV recorders that you could get about the year 2000. It, it, there's a lot of this is all filmed almost entirely on location. There's a few indoor sets that are soundstage, obviously. But the vast majority of this was filmed on location in Wales, which was unusual for Doctor Who. For the time. Yeah, I mean, in, in, in New Who, it's almost all, you know, it's based in Wales. So there's a lot more Wales. But at the time, that was different. Well, it, it's it's funny. It's one thing I, I didn't really realize until just right now is or think about until just right now that the title almost sounds like a 1950s pop band. Oh, and that's deliberate. It is. Yeah, I figured. That's what I figured. I just kind of realized it right now, though. It's actually uh, some some say that it's it's a uh, homage to the '80s pop band Echo and the Bunnymen. Hmm, I haven't heard of that one. <laughs> but it also sounds like a '50s pop band. That's another aspect of this: is there's a ton of nostalgic '50s rock and roll music in this that that plays. Yeah, and they're doing they're I mean they're doing a lot of famous songs. I mean they've they've got. Uh, uh, why do fools fall in love? Rock around the clock. Singing the blues. Why do fools fall in love? When the red red robin, the honeysuckle and the bee, Mister Sandman, Good Night Sweetheart. I was trying to figure out um, some of it, at least like what they had on the radio, actually sound like the original recordings, which would be plausible because this was thirty years after those recordings were originally done, so they were more, most likely out of the copyright, or at least you know, the, oh, no. where they would no. have to worry about licensing as much. They were in copyright. They're still in copyright. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and copyright goes way longer than that. And I was that was one of the things I was kind of marveling at was how did they get the licenses for all this? Because back then. OK, well, yeah. <laughs> back then, having licensed music in a TV show was a rarity. I mean, it almost never happened. And and there was even an episode of Doctor Who from the 60s, which featured the Beatles. But if you watch it now, that scene has been cut out because of oh, licensing sure. issues. Sure. Yep. That's right. Because I, I was wondering about that because I remember watching, I've got 
the VH version of that one, The Chase, and it has the original Beatles recording, but then you watch um, via Amazon Prime, or not, well, not Amazon Prime now, but like BritBox or whatever, it's not there. I was wondering about that. Okay. So all of the music is, it's licensed, of course, from the, the songwriters. You still have to do that. But the performances were, were not licensed. It was all re-recorded by the series mm-hmm. composer at the time, uh, Kef McCulloch, which is a, um, you know, a, a, a tribute to him that it all sounded so good. Yeah, it, it sounded, there's some of it that sounded original version. I mean, there was, yeah. I could, really could not tell a lot mm-hmm. enough of a difference. You know, because sometimes when they have remakes of songs for something like this, it's so obviously different. It's oh, yeah. not even funny. Yeah, no, they did. So that's, that's one of the big aspects of this. So, so the things that set this episode apart is on location, all of this music, for some reason they, they decided we're doing a 50s episode of, of Doctor Who. And so that was, they decided to, uh, it's kind of funny that they, that they were, they're doing like sort of American rock and roll, most of it. I mean, some of, some of it's not, but most of it, but yet it's all, it takes place in Wales because they get diverted. We'll get into the exact plot. This this is just to give people a sense. This is the most 1950s esque 1950s ever. I mean, this <laughs> yes. is far more 1950s than the actual 1950s. <laughs> right. We 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 have you know all of this all of this famous rock music happening. We have the pompadour haircuts. We have the bizarre cool cool guy cool cool girl outfits. We've got leather jackets. We've got motorcycles. Um, we have just all kinds of stuff. The only thing that is not 1950s about this is there's nowhere near enough smoking and drinking. Other than <laughs> right. that, this is over the top 1950s. Think, think the movie Grease meets Doctor Who. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Or, or the doctor shows up on Happy Days. <laughs> the Fonz and the Doctor. That would be kind of fun. Anyway, uh, so the, so the another aspect of this is the guest cast. Uh, for whatever reason, they did a huge amount of stunt casting of of famous British actors and not in American actors. Well, maybe not two, two American, American actors, actors, but known American actors anyways. One famous. So what one that I wanted to point out was Gavrock, the chief villain here, is played by a, a guy named Don Henderson. And Star Wars fans might recognize Don Henderson as General Tag from the Death Star. He was in that uh, that meeting with the conference room, the conference room meeting. He's not the one who got choked by by Darth that was Vader. Madi. Yeah, that was Admiral Madi. He was the, he was the, the sort of the instigator. He he kind of threw Madi under the bus by by goading him into the into the. He he, he was the one that when uh, Madi was being choked, he's kind of doing his collar kind of like, oh, that doesn't look pleasant. <laughs> right. So he's obviously has a, a history of playing bad guys in sci fi. So uh, so he's there. But there's other ones that, that I mean, admittedly, I I'm not familiar with. But but Jimmy, you you recognize at least one of them, right? Oh yeah. Um, some of the uh, so a number of the guest cast are like famous British comedians and stuff. Like the guy who tells Mel and uh, the Doctor that they've won this trip to 1959. He's a famous Ken Dodd. Yeah. Yeah. The actor that I re- that struck me though. So we have these two characters in the movie who are Americans. And very American, (laughs) very American. And for once on Doctor Who, they're actual American actors. So so they're not just Brits trying to fake an American accent. They actually are. And one of them has a southern accent. That actor is from uh, New Orleans. So I, you know, uh, so that's actually not not inauthentic for him. 
Um, he's the guy who plays Hawk. But the other guy is a character called Weissmuller. And these two guys are like working for the American space program there, which is a big deal in 1959. This is right after Sputnik was launched and we were trying to catch up. And so they're doing something with a satellite for Washington. Um, but I was looking at the Weissmuller character and they have this kind of R2D2 C3PO bickering relationship. Um, but I was I was watching the Weissmuller character and he's like, this guy is familiar. Who is this? It's Stubby K. And uh, so Stubby K was a very famous actor back in the 50s. He played Nicely Nicely Johnson in Guys and Dolls. And he was Marion Sam in the 1959 version of Lil Abner. Um, so he was like the main other than Lil Abner himself. He was the main male character in that. Um, he and he was uh so he was like born in New York. Uh, he was a comedian. He performed in vaudeville. Uh, he was an actor. He was a singer. And so he actually had some hits, um, including like in Little Abner. It's a musical comedy about Al Cap's uh, Little Abner dog patch series of comic strips. Um, and he sings, he co-sings with the Little Abner actor. Uh, the country's in the very best of hands, which is a parody of American politics that is actually even more on target today than it was in 1959. <laughs> but he also he does the lead on Jubilation T. Cornpone, uh, which is a heartfelt tribute to the most incompetent Confederate general of all time and <laughs> celebrates all of his many disasters. But this was a big hit in the actual 1959. So I thought it was ironic that here we've got Stubby K in this 1980s TV production set in 1959 with all this 1959 music. And he actually had a big hit in 1959. The So he had a, an effect on the popular music of this year. Unfortunately, since it's based on a Broadway play, it's a show tune rather than a rock and roll tune. So they, it doesn't fit with their rock and roll theme for this episode, but it would have been it would have been uh, really way made interesting if they had uh, if they had included a, a few bars of Jubilation T. Cornpone here. Yeah. Well, in younger uh, listeners might recognize him as Marvin Acme from Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Yes. Mm -hmm. Which was about the same time that this was. Yeah, I think Roger Rabbit might have been a year or two later, but yeah, it was an right about that's. But filmed at the same time as this. Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, also, uh, the actor who played Hawk the, with the New Orleans accent, Morgan Deer, is also was in a very recent episode of Doctor Who. He was in he had a very small role in the uh, Rosa episode set in the American South. Mm. And thus mm -hmm. his American Southern accent <laughs> came into play there as well. So let's let's there's one other aspect of this in sort of the, the larger sense I want to talk about is you know, Almost all of this, the uh, activity, all the action takes place at a holiday camp in yeah, Wales. We don't have those. Well, we don't have those anymore, but we had, I think in, in the America, we, there were things that were kind of like it. But this is, there is a, there's a particular uniqueness to, to yeah. the British holiday camp. But I had to look it up. I mean, we we had like camp spots that you could go to and we had, uh, you know, like kids camps. Well, there were also church camps or family camps, which were like this, which. So let's talk about mm -hmm. what, it, what it is. So 
people would go on a holiday or a vacation to a to to one of these camps and it was an all-inclusive sort of experience they uh, it was and it was also scheduled and somewhat regimented in a sense and you, and you get a, a flavor of that in this episode where you, people sort of ex, you, you expected to or encouraged to stay within the bounds of the camp during your stay in, in the in these british camps they had accommodation buildings that <laughs> these blocks of buildings that were called chalets which was a, a grandiose term for, for dormitories for, for dormitories <laughs> that's essentially what they were you, you ate common me meals in common with everyone there was a lights out at the end of the day there was there was music it to wake you up in the morning I and mean, it was very much a lot like a kid's camp but for adults you know families or traveling uh, tour groups that sort of thing and so I found I had to. I went to Wikipedia and had to read the Wikipedia article about it, and it was very interesting. Uh, they fell out of favor uh, around the seventies and eighties. They started to, to be replaced by, you know, the modern version, the all inclusive resort, you know, with mm -hmm. sandals or you know the the club med. I, I guess was big in the eighties. Yeah. So this is why I I, I would hate and. and going to a holiday camp like this. <laughs> There's one thing I don't want to have happen to me on vacation is it's having someone telling me what to do and when to do it. Right. Yes. I mean, I can understand if I'm like on a tour of some place because, you know, someone is providing a benefit as my guide. And so I need to keep up with my guide. But if this is like and I want to see interesting things. But if I'm just on my own on vacation, if I'm at a resort, I want to lounge around and decide what I want to do. I don't want someone regimenting my vacation for me. <laughs> right. <laughs> you will be up at eight in the morning. And yeah. Yeah. Holiday camps have always seemed kind of sinister to me. Um, if you want another version, another show where they kind of have the, a similar sinister vibe, watch the rock opera Tommy by the Who. Right. Ho hol holiday camps play a prominent role in that. Yeah. Uh I'd love to hear from anyone who who ever went to one, you know, as a kid, presumably by now. It might have been fun as a kid. I just as an adult, I'd hate it. Oh, uh, well, exactly. I, I think some some adults would love just the idea that they don't have to make decisions. It's all provided. And in some ways, like the, there was programming for the kids. Go do your thing. Programming for the adults. We don't have to worry about the kids. Someone else is taking care of them. And I can see the attraction of that. It, it, it's interesting, though. I think cruises have kind of taken that place now, though. Yes where you go on a cruise and it's that same kind of structure, although much more elaborate. And of course, you know, you do go on a cruise. Yes. You've got this bar you can go to, or that bar you can go to, you've got that restaurant, you've got that restaurant, you know, you got choices, but it's still, as I understand, I've never done a cruise. My parents have done several and, you know, it's still got a little bit of that regimented, but you're a not little like bit. seven, seven thirty in the morning. The captain doesn't come on the PA system. Good morning, <laughs> cruisers. Yeah. Right. I, I've for work, I've done a bunch of cruises and it's it is like kind of it's like being on a floating resort. Now, there is a scheduling aspect in terms of uh, if you want to go on this shore excursion. Well, obviously, you have to do it when you're when we're in this port that offers it and then you have to show up on time to get on the bus. But it's up to you to decide, do you want to go on that shore excursion or do you want to go to this line dancing thing or do you want to go play shuffleboard or do you want to see this comedian um if you do you need to show up when those activities are scheduled but it's all up to you uh unless you're a catholic answers employee in which case you are there to serve the catholic answers customers <laughs> right. Um, <so. laughs> right right 
So uh, interesting. So if, because it forms the backdrop for the story, it's it's worth learning a little bit about it. And so it's an interesting uh, insight into British culture of the 50s, 60s there. The, the story itself opens up with this battle between these guys who are wearing these banners on their backs, dressed in black. So they're the bad guys. And green army men, which is exactly, exactly. what they look like to me. Is like big yeah. green army That's what men. They were. I mean, they almost were. I mean, they were that shiny plastic look and all green from head to toe and everything. So even though we're in Wales, they managed to find us a rock quarry to double as the alien planet from the future. <laughs> exactly. Right. Right. There was a. <laughs> it's probably the same one they've always used. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> the 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 one rock quarry that is on all planets. And a woman, it, her name is Delta, who turns out to be the, the Shimmeron Queen, uh, is leading these green Shimmerons. And the leader of the Bannermen is Gavrock. And he's he's the most dastardly of all dashly villains. Uh, if he'd had a mustache, he would twirl it. I was going to say, he's so dastardly that whereas normal villains have used mustache wax and twirl their mustache, he has obviously been using mustache wax to twirl his eyebrows. <laughs> and he's got these sticky up eyebrow horns made that they've used mustache wax to make. And it's like, you know, I've I've used mustache wax on occasion, but I never thought of doing that with it. Yes, it makes him look very sinister. <laughs> then uh, And so the uh, the Shimmerons are defeated utterly except for uh, Delta. Who steals one of the, uh, the 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 Bannerman ships, and she gets away with a mysterious package that uh, that she has. And uh, then we have the Doctor and Mel. They they're landing at a toll port. So even in uh, the the universe of the TARDIS, there are tolls to get from one place to the other. Apparently, and they land at a toll port, and they're told because they're the one billionth customer, they've won a free trip to Disneyland. In 1959. Now, keeping in mind that Disneyland, that was brand new in 1959. It was just open. So so maybe you get to ride the teacups, but no Pirates of the Caribbean yet. What, what I want to know is where where did they find the old hangar they turned into this toll port? Because that was obviously like an old World, World War II era hangar. It's actually a warehouse. That, a uh, warehouse, they, really? Yeah. And uh, according to uh, the TARDIS wiki, it is, let me see the filming locations. It, it, it's the British... The British Tissues Hangar in, hmm. in, in South Glamorgan, uh, which is uh, it must be in Wales. Uh, it's now known as Georgia Pacific GB Limited. So Georgia Pacific paper has taken over. But it's a but it's a hangar. It probably previously was a World War II hangar. It's just it, it had that look like an old style bomber hangar that you yeah. see like in the old movies or whatever. Really creepy, though. Yes, it was. It was pretty creepy. Uh, well done. And I like the name, which really telegraphs what this is about. The name of the tour company that's taking them back to 1959 is Nostalgia Tours. And it's a, a group of aliens, these kind of wrinkly aliens who have uh, a transformation arch, which we see uh, later on in Doctor Who. The Navarinos and the Navarinos are totally non-human. I mean, they are not bipeds. Uh, they're purple. They have they look. To, they, when we got a glimpse of one of them, it looked to me kind of like a giant caterpillar. Right. But, <laughs> or tardigrade. Uh, yeah, or tardigrade <laughs> or something. And they, they walk through this doorway that's a transformation arch that makes them appear human. Right. And the uh, the bus driver, the leader of the tour, is another, another one of these famous British actors. Uh, Murray was played by Johnny Dennis, uh, one of the another actors that uh, has been in things that you recognize, but you probably didn't recognize him. Uh, in that role, I, I had to laugh when I saw that those aliens. Because if you've ever played the game Mint, 
Maniac Mansion from the 80s, late 80s. You know, it was kind of a, a side-scrolling, click here and do this type game. Um, they had tentacles that looked a lot like these, you know, like just the walking ten- tentacles that looked like these, yeah, Navarinos. So uh, Delta lands her ship here at the toll port and sneaks onto the bus to be part of the tour. And Mel is going to ride the bus for the tour. And the doctor's going to follow along in the TARDIS because he doesn't want to leave the TARDIS behind. And then we switch to, I found this very confusing. We switch to another police box in a field in Wales. And I'm thinking, that looks like the TARDIS. I'm thinking, why is the TARDIS there? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, they're playing on the fact this is when police boxes were actually in common use. Right. So <laughs> we since we may as well see another police box when we're in the era that they were actually in service. Which which I'm sure coincidentally happened to probably be the exact same prop as the TARDIS itself. <laughs> uh, coincidentally. Coincidentally, Coincidentally, yeah. of course. I, I like how when Weissmuller and Hawk are like trying to talk to Washington on the police box, for some reason they're using the phone to talk to the police. Or to talk to the White House. To talk to the White House, right. Yeah. But I, I love how Stubby K says, this is Jerome P. Weissmuller speaking from Wales in England. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and every Welshman goes, ah, turn it yeah. off. <laughs> everybody, you know, everybody from Britain immediately said stupid Americans. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the joke that, you know, exactly. we think of the whole island as if it's England instead of Great Britain. Weissmuller and Hawk confused me in this episode. I, I wasn't sure what their purpose in all of this was. Comic what, relief. Is that, I mean, they kind of exist at the at the edges of this story through 90% of it. And they get involved with the, directly with the doctor at the very end. But I'm, but I just, I couldn't figure out. So there, apparently, apparently there's some kind of government, U.S. government agents in yeah. Britain who drive around until they're given some sort of mission to do. And they're being given this mission that, they're to observe a, a, a satellite because, again, 1957 was when Sputnik went up. So it's the early era of space, the space race. And they had to observe a satellite that had just launched from Cape Canaveral, which looked coincidentally a lot like Sputnik. It looks a lot like Sputnik. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, which then goes missing, missing because the Nostalgia Tours tour bus runs into it in, in orbit. orbit. <laughs> runs it over. <laughs> <laughs> It was a lot of fun. Yeah, it's it's they're kind of tacked on here, but I think they're part of the fifties nostalgia thing because in addition to the to the to the rock music and everything and the holiday camps, which were popular in the fifties, and the motorcycles, so was the Cold War. And they're there with this and the space race, and they're there to represent the Cold War and the space race and the role that America had in all that, you know, just like America did the rock and roll. I have to say they'd have better luck tracking the satellite if they were looking for it at night and using a mm-hmm. telescope and not a spyglass. But that's just me. But yeah. <laughs> so, like I said, the tour bus had ran into the satellite and had to crash land. Could they couldn't make it to Disneyland because we we were all so surprised that they didn't actually film this episode in Disneyland, right? Aww. <laughs> uh, they crash land in Wales and they uh, end up at the Shangri La Holiday Camp. Uh, run by a, uh, a fellow named Burton, who is the, also called the Major. I, w- I was impressed that the, with the Welsh characters in this episode, including Burton, but also including Ray, who we're about to meet, they actually speak Welsh a number of times in uh, in the course of the episode, and they don't translate it for us, and they don't give us subtitles. And Google Translate can't translate it either, so I'm not sure what no. they actually were saying. <laughs> I tried. It, it, it kind of choked on it and 
tried to give me Indonesian instead. You know, I have to say that's that's probably the first time I've actually ever heard Welsh spoken. I've seen it written out, you know, 500 syllables long, but I think that's the first time I've ever heard it spoken. It almost sounds Icelandic to me. I mean, the, the mm-hmm. languages sound very, very similar. People who have a linguistic background will know better. But for me, I think I understand that, that Welsh and Cornish are very much related, and they're not at all related to either the Celtic Gaelic or uh, Anglo-Saxon English. Uh, it's it's something totally different, right? But but uh, if you ever want a, a little experience of of well a Welsh, uh, I think the movie um, the man who went up a hill uh, went up a hill and came down a mountain. I think it was called, mm-hmm. which it was Hugh Grant and uh, Cole Meany uh, were were mm. in that one. Yeah, yeah. So, about is there a mountain in Ireland or not? Or Wales? Wasn't it Wales? In, uh, I think it's Wales. I believe no, it's it, I believe it's Ireland, and they even joke about that. They poke fun at that movie in a Miles O'Brien episode of Deep Space Nine. Okay, nice. uh, where one mean? of the other characters points out to uh, to Miles that there are no mountains in Ireland, just gently sloping hills, <laughs> and that was the the central controversy of the movie he had starred in. Okay, I get it's been it's been a long time since I saw it, so I must have misremembered. Welsh is a member of the Britonic branch of the Celtic languages. Okay, mm. but it's but it's a separate branch from Irish and Scottish. That's, yeah, that's that that much I, I do remember. Yeah, and you can hear it. It sounds different than Irish and Scottish. It doesn't seem to have vowels. This one. <laughs> <laughs> you can usually identify like if I'm hearing not if I'm hearing Irish or Scottish, I can hear a lot of cognates, but you don't. I don't hear that as much in Wales in Welsh. Delta. So the the bus is damaged. The some kind of crystal's broken. The doctor has to regrow it. Whatever the MacGuffin is there. So Mel and Delta end up as roommates. And then we have the introduction of this character of Ray, this this uh, female character who it's implied or she implies that she's sweetheart or sweet on this other character of Billy, the mechanic at the camp. But I guess Billy doesn't realize that she's sweet on him. They've been friends forever. It, that was confusing to me at first. But because Billy when at this get to know you welcome dance, uh, which he sings that he also is a rock and roll singer, apparently uh, he he goes gaga for Delta. And as part of the absurdity of this, he is like totally unfazed, as are other characters, by the fact Delta is an alien and she has an evil green looking evil looking green baby. <laughs> and exactly. she's on the run from other aliens who want to kill her. And Billy is totally unfazed by this and like bonds to her emotionally and decides to leave Earth and become an alien himself by drinking alien food. And it, his character arc is very interesting. Alien baby food, which alien uh, baby it's, food, it's like, yeah. or which is the um, queen jelly. The equivalent of royal jelly, yeah, yeah, royal jelly from bees, which they, which we get a nice discussion of a happenstance about you know honeybees and royal jelly in this episode. If you know where royal jelly comes from, then you get kind of a little creeped out by him eating the royal jelly <laughs> of uh, the the Shimmerons. It was a very that was a very strange mm-hmm. li- little thing where he just takes it and eats it, and Delta's okay with it. She's like, "Oh, you shouldn't do that. We don't know what's going to do to you." But he's like taking this. A apparently precious resource. Well, I, I guess she had enough because the girl. By that point, the girl is is rapid aged almost to adulthood, so she doesn't need the baby food much. This is another thing. It, it's part of the dream logic of this episode. It just moves in these kind of dreamlike way, uh, not in terms of pacing. It's fast paced, 
but it it has this kind of well yeah okay boy meets girl boy realizes girl is an alien boy decides to become an alien boy eats alien baby food to become alien <laughs> yeah and and similarly the fact that the baby she has rapidly ages in just in less than a day into a teenager is something normally i loathe rapid aging in in fiction because it's too convenient a plot device but here this is deliberately absurd and i'm okay with it they don't uh, they don't also uh, ignore the fact that it requires a massive amounts of energy for someone to rapid age like that like a, a child right needs nutrition so they actually incorporate that into the story oh oh i wanted to comment on on ray so her name is rachel and uh, she's a tomboy. She has she has mechanical knowledge. She always carries around a toolkit with her and she's got a leather jacket and she has a one syllable name. So I'm going, <laughs> hmm, can I think of anyone else who met the seventh doctor who was a tomboy with a one syllable name, mechanical knowledge and a leather jacket? Why? That would be Ace, his future companion. And actually, That's Ray. <laughs> it's not a coincidence. Ray was planned to be his companion because Bonnie Langford, who plays Mel, was known to be leaving, but they didn't know exactly when she was going to leave. So they wrote the character Ray to be the next companion. So you can see how this would have been an origin story for Ray. The doctor meets her in Wales. She's got this guy she's sweet on, but he decides to become an alien. So she travels with the doctor and the script would have played out exactly the same until Ray's final scene where she would have gotten on the TARDIS instead of getting on a motorcycle and driving off. It, coincidentally, Sophie Aldred, who plays Ace, who will eventually be Ace, Audition for this role of Ray, which is kind of funny. So, it, it, yeah, yeah. Bonnie Langford was going to leave the series midway through the season and then chose to stay for the complete season. And mm -hmm. and so then mm -hmm. they had to, I think, scramble to, to change things around. But yeah. Uh, yeah, Ray has a toolkit where with a tool for everything. In it. And they kind of talk about that. And we will, we will meet Ace in the next episode. We talk about Dragonfire. The next episode, Seventh Doctor episode, that's when the, the change happens between the two of them. So the baby, so this package that Delta has at the beginning of the episode that she escapes from this planet with, it turns out it's an incubator with a an egg or baby, whatever, in it, and uh, emerges uh, a this green, scary, wrinkly baby, which was really, really evil looking baby. So it's like it was like the, the TV show V from the 80s. Mm -hmm. oh, yes. Like the lizard baby in that. This is how it looked when it was emerging. It was I still only, I still only have nightmares green. of that. <laughs> only what? Only green. Only green. Yes. Yeah, that was that was a weird decision on their part to make the alien baby look very alien at first, but then every time you see it afterwards, it just looks like a human baby in makeup, a suit. Yeah, the suit. Yeah, yeah. It was very. It was an odd decision. And and this baby rapidly ages. Yeah, I thought it was interesting that so with the Shimmerons, uh, apparently babies and males are green and adult females are white. And so the baby progressively gets less green as she ages until as an as a teenager, she's she's almost pure white. That's like true. Delta. Right. Like a Caucasian skin without. Although was there a green well, tint? Well, it's, it's 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 I think she still has I think they actually both have a little bit of green tint, but it's not just the skin tone and the makeup they're using on their skin, it's also their costuming. So if you're I assume we're meant to understand that's clothing, although I don't know it for a fact. 
Well, but, Billy uh, wears it at the end. Yeah. Oh, true. But uh, that's after he's eaten the alien food. Yeah. But it's like for the uh, for the oh, but his is white, which yes, is interesting is. because the other the other sh- uh, Shimmeron males we see are green in their in their clothing which as well soldiers, as maybe that was the difference that could be yeah you know the drone the drone bees if you will yeah yes because the because let's uh, the the shimmerons are, are essentially space bees people space mm-hmm. bee people which is another reason i would not want to become a shimmeron it's like <laughs> yeah. yeah well but, so billy becomes is going to repopulate the shimmeron people though the shimmerons have been wiped out except for delta the young princess who doesn't get a name and and then Billy, who becomes the the male uh, shimmer on. And I'm mm-hmm. thinking if he's going to be the father of a new species and the princess is the new queen. I, I know. I know. That's... Yeah. Children show. Just just ignore it. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Delta. Yeah. Delta's not. Yeah. I think Billy's in for a shock uh, when he realizes what the mistake he's made here. But uh, so. Uh, Billy and Delta and the baby go riding off in, uh, on Billy's motorcycle, which has a sidecar. And this poor baby is sitting there with no helmet, no protection. This is the, the future of this species. And they're riding <laughs> around in this open sidecar. Just, I, I, 1959. I was, oh, yep. my gosh. Yes. <laughs> the, the dad in me was very uh, uh, put out by this. I, you know, I remember growing up, we would, as kids, we'd pile into the back of a pickup truck. It was no big deal. I did that, and we did, we did the station wagon thing too. Yeah, people still do that here. You know, uh, that, matter of fact, there was some uh, contra- controversy in in my little town in Mon- Montana on the the Facebook page for the site where somebody was complaining about kids riding in the back of pickup trucks just the other day. So <laughs> it, it is still Montana. happens here. Trust me, I've I've done it as an adult too, but then I was an adult. Montana is barely uh united states uh follow you know part of the federal union uh, union we're, 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 we're the better part oh did i say that well <laughs> <laughs> the federal laws are just a, a guidance in Montana. well you know if, if nothing else if we don't like it we'll just go you know 60 miles north and get to get into canada anyways so exactly exactly you'll be yeah <laughs> The Ray, Ray and the doctor team up. They they have this experience with this alien bounty hunter who who is trying to profit off of revealing that Delta is there to Gavrock, and then Gavrock betrays him because he's such a dastardly character that he betrays he's, him. He's so dastardly he betrays people even when it's contrary to his self interest. <laughs> exactly because because when he shows up, you know he can't find Delta or the doctor for that matter. Because he killed the, his inside man. <laughs> yeah. He, Gavrek deserved to lose uh, on this one. I, 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 I like the line that the, the bounty hunter has where we're having the cliffhanger for part one. And the doctor is he, he, the doctor realizes he's a bounty hunter. He's after me because he can make money off me. And he says, if you kill only for money, then let the girl go. She's of no value to you. And the alien bounty hunter says, oh, I don't just kill for money. It's also something I enjoy. <laughs> it's, it's, it's such a banal line <laughs> it's something i enjoy like he's like a cup of tea no you're supposed to be like like sneer i love to kill or something yeah <laughs> it was I so also, blah <laughs> i i love in the in the next episode where we have uh weissmuller and hawk are being menaced by uh gavrock the head of the bannermen who by the way do actually have banners so it's not false advertising. Some of the bannermen have these like Japanese like banners stuck to their backs, but but and otherwise dress like 
black suited Nazi members of Devo. <laughs> but at one point they've, you know, they, they've come across Weissmuller and Hawk and they've damaged some of their equipment that they were using to try to track the satellite or something. And and Weissmuller is like, you've just damaged the property of Uncle Sam. And and Gavrock's line is, where is he? Your Uncle Sam. <laughs> That was good. That was good. Yes, the the aliens are very concerned about the U.S. government property. So uh, they have to evacuate the camp. The doctor convinces Burton that the camp is in danger. We have to get all the guests and the staff out uh, after he after he convinces them that he's an alien, by the way. Yeah, he has such a great line too. the the uh, Burton, the camp manager is like, so am I to understand that you are saying you are spacemen who are in fear of attack by other spacemen? And, and right. yeah, exactly. I just love the way he delivers the line. And then to prove he really is an alien, the doctor just shows him the inside of the TARDIS. Right. But, Which that's a, that's a pretty good con- convincer there. We, we don't actually see the interior of the TARDIS except at the beginning in, of the episode. Um, I think because they didn't want to have to transport the actors to the to London to film those pickup scenes, uh, you know, the, the ex, extra work for them, uh, which is fine. Uh, Delta kind of reveals the basic. Here, here's the premise: if I can get the hatchling safety to the brood planet, which is apparently where the, the hatchlings grow, then I can take my case to judgment. If there is some third party legal authority that can Im- impose justice on Gavrock, uh, the shadow implied. proclamation. <laughs> right. Yeah. Wrong version of Doctor Who, sorry. <laughs> yeah. They will then send an expeditionary force to get rid of Gavrock and the Bannermen. And that's that's sort of this is this is where we're gonna be for the rest of this episode. Uh so then the the vacationers, the the Murray gets the bus going, he's got the crystal in it, the vacationers are all on board. Mel says, I'm gonna stay behind with the doctor, and they all load up, and then Gavrock comes along and kills all these poor vacationers. I know, he they like disintegrate the bus. Well, well he's trying to sad. kill it was it was sad. It was shocking. And yeah. Mel is appropriately shocked. It's like, you just killed all those innocent people. And I had thought because of the way the bus just vanishes in a puff of smoke, I thought maybe they would teleported or something and yeah. they were going to reveal they all survived. But no, they're just dead. All they're these characters, in, including the bus driver, who we really learned to like. Yes, I like Murray. And then Mel had lied to him about. Yeah. So Del- Delta and how Mel learned Delta's name. I'm not entirely sure. Uh, roomies. I, it, well, but no, but at one at one point, the doctor is like, if she's who I think she is. And then he never tells Mel her name is Delta. But then in a later scene, it's just he's referring to her as Delta as if Mel knows that. Well, the same thing with the Bannermen. They, they all of a sudden they just start talking about the Bannermen and exactly. most of the people would not have even known who they were. Right. Right. But so Gavrock comes up to Mel and is like, was Delta on that bus? And Mel's like, oh, yeah, she was totally on that bus. She's totally dead now. (laughs) And 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 then then, one of Gavrock's guys sees Delta and it's like, hey, she's over there. You lied to me. And he's going to kill her. But then Burton, the camp manager, uh, convinces him that they're they're worth more as hostages, which, you know, (laughs) because finally someone is thinking in Gavrock's best interest here. (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. a, hey look dummy <laughs> uh, you know we're, we're better as sausages oh okay um the, then there's uh we have garanwi the 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 welsh beekeeper yeah what an amazing character he's he's this welsh beekeeper he's a strange old man 
Like other characters in this, he's totally not phased by the fact there are spacemen running around in fear of attack by other spacemen. <laughs> right. he, he's like, oh, alien green baby. OK, fine. And he just doesn't even notice the fact that it's an alien green baby. Right. Um, and and here's the thing. There is a fan theory about Gowrani that he is actually a future incarnation of the doctor. And if you watch his scenes with that in mind, and if you imagine, I mean, he could be played by Tom Baker. Right. And this yeah. would totally fit if Tom Baker was playing him. So the curator being the, the future incarnation of the doctor decides to retire and become a beekeeper in 1959. <laughs> exactly. And, and, and in 2015, Stephen Moffat supported the idea that Gowrani is a future incarnation of the doctor. He has all this Gowrani has all this preternatural knowledge of stuff uh, and yeah. interacts with the doctor as an equal. And they, it's like they knowingly are sharing some secret. And I haven't checked the chronology, but in the name of the doctor, there is the line where Matt Smith's doctor talks about wanting to retire and become a beekeeper. Oh, my. Well, that's funny. <laughs> oh, that Moffat. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did. I did uh, think he was remarkably accommodating of the doctor and all these people who wanted mm -hmm. to, you know, use his house as a as a. Uh, a decoy um all of his all of that wonderful honey was destroyed uh, uh, being knocked on top of Gavrock and the Bannerman and do bees really like attack people who are covered in honey I'm, I I wasn't clear on this but apparently they do I don't know I know they are programmed to attack what they perceive as threats to their hive so um for example uh any bears they do not like bears because bears will go after their hives. And so consequently, if you have if you're like very hairy and bearded and stuff like that, as <laughs> as I am, then you you are advised to be a little careful around bees because they might think you're a bear and go after you. And so maybe if they see you covered in honey, they think you're attacking the hive. Well, and if you know, if these are the doctor's bees, maybe he specially bred them for this purpose. Well, the, he apparently communicates with them. Yeah. The bees are also preternatural because the bees are like communicating messages to Delta and telling her to come to the cottage and stuff. Yeah, th these are some fancy bees he's got here. I, I, I do like in the subsequent scenes, Gavrock and the other bannermen are like covered in bee stings on their faces. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so we get a we get a scene. So Gavrock gets has has Mel and Burton and the doctor comes up in a under a uh, flag of truce that Gavrock shoots at because. You know, bad guy, definitely. Yeah. Uh, and he's eating this raw leg of lamb, which is just so mm -hmm. gross, the scene. And <laughs> I'm like, just, it's just mutton sushi. Oh, you mutton. there you go. <laughs> this act, Don Henderson really got into this uh, scene, I guess. I mean, this was really gross. And the doctor somehow manages to convince him to let him take Mel and Burton. Yeah, it's 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 more dream logic here. This this doctor has to make a big moralizing speech that doesn't make any sense, but is really over the top. And then it's like, I'm driving off with these people and they kind of go, they kind of like are about to shoot them in the doc. And that provides our cliffhanger. And the doctor says, maybe I've gone too far, but it's just so they can have a cliffhanger. By the way. In the previous scene, before they all got stung by the bees, I love the fact it's like on what other show? How surreal is this? 
you have moronic alien fascists running around a Welsh farm to the tune of lollipop. <laughs> it's like, this is so stupid. It's awesome. It, they must be here. I can hear a radio. <laughs> Let's shoot at the house. What? Uh, yeah, the, that's actually one thing. There was so much. So in addition to the songs that we hear, there's all this incidental music uh, around the, uh, uh, the, the the change in scenes and that sort of thing. That's just a big thing they did back then in, the, in that era when yep. you had a lot of this incidental music and so much cheesy 50s style incidental music. Mm -hmm. Including here. at one point the Doctor Who theme in 1950s style, like at the very beginning. Oh, right, right. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah, so so much cheese. Gavrock puts a trap on the TARDIS, a sonic trap. Uh, sonic to, cone. A sonic cone in order to prevent the Doctor from escaping. And it's such a fierce trap, you can't even defuse it with a sonic screwdriver. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> the, so it's a, we have TARDIS separation here. The, that's uh, one of our, our, yep. our tropes. Gavrock has uh, this dastardly plan to push a tracker on the motorcycle as the Dr. Burton and Mel ride away. And the doctor realizes it because he sees it. So, so they go yeah. off to uh, uh, the, this farm and they place the tracker on a goat. Those poor goats. <laughs> and I was watching the scene as these, these goats that are staked out in this field are surrounded by these bizarre looking actors in these bizarre costumes. And the goats are like, what? In the world is what the going, is going on, on here. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the goat was freaked out by uh, by Don Henderson uh, in that scene. It was a really hysterical. They 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 eventually defeat the 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 Bannermen by. So the 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 alien baby princess has been as she's growing. She can't talk. She makes this chiming sound instead, and we're told it's partly music, but it's also partly a. Uh, a defense mechanism it's like an attack sound and so eventually what they do is they 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 for some reason have to do some electronics work on the already perfectly fine camp pa system <laughs> right. and yeah. and they then have and the doctor gets to deliver the line all haste and no speed makes jill a dull girl which is one of his manglings of english proverbs but they kind of phase that out after this episode and so they they do the electronics work to set up the speakers or maybe some extra speakers. And then they have the now teenage princess sing her attack signal into the PA system, which dis, which incapacitates all of the bannermen. And it also causes Gavrock to fall backwards into the sonic cone around the TARDIS, thus disintegrating him and burning out the sonic cone. Conveniently. So the do conveniently. <laughs> so the doctor can now get back into the TARDIS. All of the bannermen are now rolling around on the ground, holding their heads, allowing Weissmuller to use his knowledge of Boy Scout knots to tie them up one at a time before <laughs> right. they recover. Right. Uh, the the uh, doctor hands the bannermen over to Delta, who is flies off in the uh, the bannermen ship with yeah. Billy. Billy, and it's the, Billy, who takes his guitar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's got his electric guitar with him. Yes. The, the, the Shimmerons are going to have a very interesting culture uh, in the future. Oh, I can just imagine the the Shimmeron 1950s-esque love songs about baby sing your attack signal for me. And, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, and then uh, the the Doctor and Mel fly off as another tour rolls up to Shangri-La Holiday Camp, ready to some uh, a glee club, uh, which apparently goes on vacation together, which is a interesting idea. Uh, and 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 that's the uh, that's how the the story ends 
Yeah. Oh, and Galrani gives the doctor a jar of, of honey, which in spinoff material Ace later eats. But when he when he gives the doctor <laughs> when he gives the doctor the honey, the doctor says, oh, what a sweet gesture. Yes. yes, yes. Sweet gesture. <laughs> 1928 hibiscus blossom uh, honey, in fact. So uh, which uh, I, didn't, yeah. I didn't know hibiscus grows in England. I thought it was more tro- it's more tropical in my experience, mm. but well, maybe. I wonder where Garanui Garani gets his hibiscus blossoms from. If he were the know. doctor with a TARDIS, that would be possible, wouldn't it? That would, yeah. <laughs> ah, and, and, that and, theory. <laughs> and so now that everything's resolved, our final 1950s, or not 1950s, but our final pop tune of the episode is Happy Days Are Here Again. <laughs> yes. And we go out on Gowerny smiling. Right. As if he knows something we don't know. Oh, and uh, Weissbuehler and Hawk get their satellite back. It was hanging yes. on the fence <laughs> for them to take. So they get to be heroes uh, back home as well. So uh, any other uh, notes that uh, we missed on this episode, you guys? Uh, anything Nothing we want to bring in? I, I just thought it was an awesome, stupid episode. It was great. <laughs> I thoroughly enjoyed it. I mean, it's, there's a whole lot of cheese, but yeah. This is one of these episodes, if you're going in for deep science fiction, you're going to be highly disappointed. If you're just going in for something that's stupid and fun and pop music, it's great. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, it's 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 fun. So we do have a little bit of feedback from our uh, episode on uh, Dal- the Daleks in Manhattan and evolution of the Daleks. We thought we did a that two parter recently. It was the the tenth Doctor episode where the Doctor and Martha Jones go to nineteen twenties nineteen thirties New York where the Daleks are. Catherine O'Hare says on Facebook, uh, and you'll know why I read this because she's so she's so insightful here. She says, Dom's impression throughout are my favorite part of the episode. Ooh, <laughs> cool. The real reason it's good on for, here. Good for you, Dom. <laughs> she says, my favorite was in person. was him impersonating Tallulah, impersonating a New Yorker. But the human Dalek bit at the end was a great <laughs> bit, too. So thank you, Catherine. Hmm. I, I appreciate that. Somebody appreciates my my act. Yeah. Uh, no one. No one in my home appreciates my accents, especially when I try Aww. to use Texas or Irish uh, accents. My wife does not. <laughs> she just mm. shakes her head. At me. I, I hope they at least appreciate your Boston accent. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, well, especially as my children, uh, my wife shakes her head at my children having that accent. But uh, so, yes. you shouldn't raise your children in Boston if you don't want them to have a Boston accent. Exactly. They're gonna, children pick up their accents from their peers, not their parents. <laughs> well, yes. But as we as we finish things out, I do want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Doctor Who. And today I want to thank by name Lynn F., Suzanne S., Dennis S., uh, Fonseca B., and Mary C. It's through their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give that makes it possible for us to continue the secrets of Doctor Who and all the shows we do at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So that's it from us. What did you think of Delta and the Bannermen? And our discussion of it. Uh, did, did you go ever go to a British holiday camp where they were around uh, or have any of those experiences? Let us know by visiting sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page and leave us feedback there or send an email to doctorwho at sqpn.com. We'll read it on a future episode if you do. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the 10th Doctor episode that features the return of the Master in the first time in New Who, Utopia. Uh, spoilers. Mm. Sorry about that if you haven't watched it yet. Until then, uh. <laughs> Father Cory Stika, thank you for joining me in sharing the secrets of Doctor Who. Well, thank you, Dom. 
Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thanks, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember, violence always rebounds on itself. Right. This is going to be fun.